Good morning. Thank you for joining us. It is officially time to finish the course set before us. We've been in Acts now since one year ago at this time. And uh, I can look back at that time. We were talking about coming in from being outside in a tent at that time. Look how far we've come. It is good to be together with you today as we conclude our series, our third part of our series in Acts, Voyagers, ready, willing, and able. We're going to find out, is Paul able to get to Rome? Well, we do know this. He was willing to take a leap of faith. And that's what this series has really been centered around, is God calling us to take a leap of faith. And, and, and what does that entail? Because faith sometimes can be so abstract. And we've kind of tried to break it down. Maybe faith, desperate faith, furnace faith. We've talked about many different types of faith to help us get around the challenges of standing on the edge of doing something great for God and asking ourselves, am I gonna listen to the voice of fear or the voice of faith. And hasn't it been good to gather in this place or online and just kind of resonate on things of faith when we're being bombarded with fear everywhere we go? Isn't it good to just take a break? And so it's raining outside. There's nothing better to do than to be with us today. So, so sit down and relax. And I pray that this last message in the book of Acts will be an encouragement to you as we take another leap of faith. Well, this summer, um, in my devotional life, I was really being challenged with the word discipline. I'm a creative thinker. I'm a creative type mind. And we can tend to be, all the creative people out there, we can tend to be a little sloppy, okay? Um, we're messy at times. Uh, we start lots of projects. Our garages often have many different projects in them. We're excited about things. We don't always finish things. We get in over our heads easily, but we are always willing to start and willing to try something new. Well, I have been praying like, Lord, I really need to develop better discipline in my life, especially as our church has grown so much, the demands are getting more, more and more. I've got to develop more discipline in my life to handle this next season of leadership. And so I, I, I thought I can only do one thing outside my devotions. I'm going to buy a book written by a Navy SEAL. And so I did that. It was on taking a discipline and making it part of freedom in your life. And I was reading this alongside with some challenges in my life, been studying a certain book in scripture that'll come out more in the fall. And as I'm looking through this, I'm realizing how much discipline is biting off small chunks often versus trying to do everything in one day. And so I wanted, I'm a kinetic learner, Okay, I didn't do well in lecture halls, okay? Um, but I'm, I'm more of a kinetic, get my hands on it type learner. And I thought, what's something I could do? I was just kind of processing a job I could take on. I mean, I would look in a bathroom and go, okay, I could paint this bathroom today. If I wake up early enough, I can paint the second coat while it's half dry. I'm, I'm in, you know, I, I can take on. Uh, but I thought, what kind of project could I take on where it'll take a little time? Well, uh, my wife just mentioned to me. She's like, you know, it'd be nice if we like had a, a fire pit at our house where we could like put people around and kind of maybe even, I was even thinking about getting some girls together, do a Bible study, maybe this fall. And I, and I just stuck in my head, like maybe I could do a fire pit area. And I was on the back porch. If anybody knows my house, I was on the back screen in porch and I was looking out the back and, and, and I thought about taking a leap of faith. And I looked at our woods and all I saw was thorns and, and just yuck. And then on top of that, on top of that, you can see we've had beetles really try kill a bunch of our ash trees. You probably have had that too. I'm like, I got to take those down or they could fall on us. And that's not good, you know? And, and, and so there's some aspects I got to probably work on this. I wonder if I could put a fire pit right there. And, and, I, and I started thinking about it. And then I started voicing it, you know, and Rebecca's always like, oh boy, could you get friends? Could you, that's what you, and, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I really want to do this. I'm, and I know I can't take this on in a weekend. I'm going to make this my summer project. I'm just going to take it on one at a time. So I went out. I, I, this is how pathetic I am. Guys, don't make fun of your pastor. I plugged in a drag cord, went down with my hedge clippers that are plugged in. Uh, I attacked that like that. 
I cut through one of my extension cords one time, practically electrocuting myself, and, and, and then I had shears, and I'm going at it like this. I've got thorn bushes all over me. I've got poison ivy collecting, but I'm on a mission. We're getting a fire pit. Well, well, the project after a week or so still kind of looked just like that. It's about, it's about what it did. I'm like looking, going, it doesn't look like I did much, but I did a lot. And, and, and that particular Saturday, I was having breakfast with one of our deacons, he's a buddy of mine. And, and he said, Chris, mind if I come over and look at the project? I said, yeah, sure, sure. So we come over and he's standing there and he's just quiet. And I know he's thinking, I don't want to hurt my pastor's feelings but he really needs help. And he said, you know, Chris, why don't I lend you my tractor? A tractor would do this in half the time of what you're doing. And I'm gonna tell you, it's super fun. Well, I became Bob the Builder. <laughs> I mean, I've never had so much fun. And within a day, it looked like this. I mean, I had it all cleared out. I mean, I chipped it up. I mean, I was so excited about this. I started looking at other parts of the house. <laughs> Driving by neighbors going, I could take that out for them. They would appreciate me. I mean, it was unbelievable what you could do. Yeah, I got people saying, stop by. <laughs> These trees are your fixture points. And, and I kept looking at this, and one of the things I learned through this project, and I've learned about myself, you know, the, you know the, the phrase, know thyself? I know this about Chris. He starts things and goes, you know what, that's pretty good. I think we can live like that. And I don't always finish everything. And I say, oh, I'll finish it this fall. And then I get on another project, and I never finish it this fall. Anybody got unfinished projects at your house? Don't elbow yourself. <laughs> we all do, Right? So I set up accountability dates when my friends would be coming with chips and with stone. I, I still had this vision of a stone area here and chips in there. And I set up dates so I would say to myself, well, Thursday, that's coming. And then, well, next Friday, I have this. And I did that to hold myself accountable. It was all part of this little summer project. And I am this strange. I really do do this stuff. Well, I would love to tell you it's done. Um, but I did get the chips in and the stone down. And, and I started to line it with some boulders because one of my buddies stopped by with his bobcat. And yeah, he just stopped by with it. He's like, Chris, I need to bless you, I think. I don't know if his wife made him. Go encourage Chris, I saw a picture or whatever. But, but we started lining it with stones and we got the chips down. And as of yesterday, it's not quite done, but as of yesterday, it looks like this. It looks pretty good, right? It's come a long way since the beginning. And it wouldn't have happened if I went, hey, guess what? Saturday, I'm gonna try to do it. So I wrote some things down that I've learned in just my little summer project that still needs to get done. You can, I'm putting this out probably to hold myself accountable. But I wrote down four lessons. One, one, if you feel a mission that you're feeling called to do, as silly as a backyard barbecue area, okay? Just start. Just start. I mean, it's amazing what happens when you just start. We, we have a principle here for our staff. It's called paint the wall. Paint one wall, you will finish the room. Like if Mike Nice comes out here and paints just that part blue, he's gonna wanna finish it before you guys show up on Sunday. Don't worry, he's not doing that. But when you paint a wall, when you get started, there's a chance you'll finish. Here's a second, stay patient. I'm a very hasty person in projects and hastiness doesn't get things done correctly. And, and I was not doing it correctly. And, and unfortunately, God sent me a lot of great people. Create accountability markers for yourself. I'm gonna get it done by. This is getting dropped off by. It keeps you going if you're prone to me like me to stop along the way. And then, by all means, resolve to finish. I mean, that's a big one, isn't it? How often do we get so close to finishing and we don't finish? Might not mean much for a backyard fire pit area, but what about in our spiritual walk? What about the times God's called us on a mission? And he's called us to trust him and to leap in faith into that mission. 
We see it in Paul, determined to finish the race set before me. We see it in lives throughout scripture. I can't stop here. I've got to finish. And I thought, where could we go to illustrate and demonstrate what I'm gonna call today mission faith? And I can think of no other place than Egypt. Egypt had fallen on very difficult times, especially for Jewish people. You see, there arose a king who did not know Joseph, scripture says. Now, what does that mean? Well, Joseph was in Potiphar's house and rose to power by delivering grain to all the people that God had led him. But there arose a king, he didn't know about Joseph. And he began to treat the Hebrew people harshly. He began to enslave them politically, calling them refugees. He enslaved them economically, calling them and making them slaves. And he enslaved them socially by targeting them for death. How did he do that? This Egyptian king commanded the midwives who would deliver Hebrew children. If it was a girl, let her live. If it was a boy, kill them. And scripture tells us of these midwives that refused to do so. They would let the boys live. And on being confronted, they said, we can't help it. These Hebrew women, they're just unbelievable in birth. They just have them before we get there. And they were preserving them. Well, this led the king to such fury that he said, I want all Hebrew boys thrown into the Nile. Now make no mistake, the Nile River presented more than just a river. The Nile River meant power and control for it was the lifeblood of Egypt. And to throw them in there was to demonstrate his power over the Hebrew people. All hope was lost for God's chosen people. There's a destruction coming their way for this new king did not know Joseph And God's people were enslaved with no hope on the horizon. And one of those children born to a Hebrew woman, scripture says, was a fine baby. Now, we read this in Exodus. Now, if you know who wrote Exodus, you realize Moses was calling himself a fine baby. (laughs) Isn't that good? He was a fine guy. We good, you're inspiring this, right? Fine baby. Look it up, fine baby. And, and, and he was so beautiful and they couldn't hide him much longer. And so they put him in a basket, put pitch all over it, used the same word as used for ark, Noah's ark. And they put him in the Nile. Now, how many of you got felt board memories and you think mom just dumped him in the Nile and sent him along his way? No. That is not how it went. They took the basket and they placed it in the reeds, it says, and they positioned it. And then Miriam, the older sister of this little baby, this fine baby, stayed and watched. And amidst all of this bloodshed of little Hebrew babies being killed by this unbelievable, cruel king, in the basket laid a savior of the Hebrew people, a redeemer, one who would call them out from where they are in slavery and lead them in to freedom. He would have a mission and that mission would begin the moment Pharaoh's daughter walks down to the riverside and sees a basket, pulls it out, opens it up, new toy a little Hebrew boy, can I keep him? And while the world thinks all of God's kids are going down and evil is prevailing, God has placed a unique package in a basket with a unique plan in a palace with a unique purpose to deliver. And he will be raised on Pharaoh's dime. God's got a sense of humor too. Moses grew strong. He was awesome. In fact, he grew into leadership in Pharaoh's 
Pharaoh's palace. 40 years he would spend there being raised. And he discovered along the way he was a Hebrew. And one day, one day he went outside and he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow countrymen. And even though he was in the Egyptian palace, it enraged him. In fact, in fact, we see in scripture a new phrase. It's called like hot anger, hot anger. Moses could flare up like that. And he saw this and said, that's it. And it flared up. And the scripture says, Moses, upon seeing this, looked this way. And he looked this way. And he looked this way. And he looked that way. I had a five-year-old son who was not allowed to go up the steps. And so he'd sneak around when mom and dad aren't looking and he'd look this way and this way and he'd start, hey! Ah! Nobody yelled hey for Moses and he slayed that Egyptian and killed him on the spot. Later, Moses saw two Hebrew men fighting. He said, guys, 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 calm down, calm down. And one of the Hebrew men said, what are you gonna do to me? Kill me like you did the Egyptian? And he realized he had been seen and he had been caught. And now he's got a decision to make. Does he stay in Pharaoh's palace or does he leave with his countrymen? And Moses, it says, fled the palace and went with the Hebrew people. He fled all the way to Midian from Egypt around this place called where a Mount Sinai was. He fled down here to the land of Midian and upon getting there, there was a priest of Midian and his daughters were there and shepherds were abusing them and Moses came in. I mean, Moses was ready for a fight at all times and he came in and he separated them and the the priest of Midian said, I wanna give you one of my daughters for this. I I mean, this was awesome what you did and he gave him Zipporah and for 40 years, Moses would be in the land of Midian. There there are some accounts that are extra biblical written by the works of Philo that talk about even people like Moses. And, And it's said that he was an incredible shepherd, eager with animals. God has taken this hot tempered man. He's in the Midian for 40 years growing into a shepherd. It's as if God has a mission on this young man's life that has now become this man of wisdom and eager shepherding. It's like God has this mission for him he's preparing him for. God started it by positioning him. He's patient with him as it's within now 80 years of his age. He's put accountability around him. And now, is God gonna use him to finish the mission he's been called for? I look in scripture and I tip my hat to Joseph. I mean, you can't find anything wrong with the guy in all of scripture. What an incredible guy. I open the books of scripture, the passage of scripture, and I look at the life of Peter and I go, wow, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror. I I resonate with Peter and how he responds to Christ and how he gets excited and how he's emotional. But when I look at the life of Moses, I feel like I'm a witness to one of the great heroes that have ever stepped foot on this globe. And he had a mission in his life. And it was a long path but God had prepared him for big things and he had also with Paul. Paul, you will voyage to Rome, but it's gonna take mission faith. I've called you, I've pulled you out from the road to Damascus. I've told you you're gonna finish. It's been a long road, but it's time to finish what we set out to do. But it's gonna take mission faith to finish this off because everything in you might be tempted to quit, tempted to get discouraged, tempted to go, maybe it wasn't me, tempted to say, I think God might be done with me, tempted to say, hey, Mission Faith, Chris, that's for like the extra special Christians in here. I'm just like, I just like coming on Sundays. I don't think God could ever use me. Today, today is our chance 
to take all the aspects of faith we've been learning and going, God, I am willing to ask you. I'm ready. I'm willing because it's probably going to demand a lot of sacrifice and you're probably going to have to change me a lot. But I'm willing to go to the edge. I'm willing to leap into your arms. Now, in a room this size, it only might be five of us who really say, it's now. I want to take a leap of faith. It might be more as the years go on. You might be watching from your, from your dorm room. You might be listening to this on the lawnmower later this week. But maybe it's time for you to be ready, willing, and able. So I'm going to tell you who you need to trust in to be able. Heavenly Father, as we close this mission, as we voyage into Rome, as we learn from this life that Moses led, I pray that we would desire to have mission faith. The faith that is called to lead people from bondage, addiction, defeat, discouragement, abandonment, mockery, labeling, called to lead people from enslavement to your glorious freedom. Lord, give us mission faith to think not just about ourselves, but to look at our life and say, God, do you want to use me to lead someone from bondage to freedom? God, give me mission faith. Help me finish the course you called me to. Amen. Well, the voyage has been long, has it not? Look at our map. You guys have been traversing with us for a while. We began down here in Caesarea. We went along the coast of Sidon. We came along Pamphylia in a small vessel that had to tack along through difficult weather. As we got below Patara, the winds forced us down below Salmon and into Fair Havens where we stopped. But we thought, man, that's not the best place to stay. We want to sail to Phoenix. That's a better port and we could winter there. And despite Paul saying, guys, I don't think we should go, they went anyway. And your, your Aquilo hit and drove them down towards the shallows of Sirtis, forced them to go out of control. But somewhere out here below the Sea of Adria, Paul gets a vision at night from an angel that says, Paul, you're going to make it. You're going to make it to Rome and everybody in this boat, but you're going to have to shipwreck. And shipwreck they did on the island of Malta where even to this day, they say there is a remnant of those who claim they've believed all the way back from the time that Paul was there. But being in Malta and wintering there, they cannot stay there. It's time to move on. And we get that account in Acts. And we look at where, where Paul voyages up and finishes the course. So let's head towards Rome as I open up Acts here. And we look at where we're going to pick it up in chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. I'll read it as you look at the map. You can see how they come up along the coast. It says this, after three months, okay, at Malta, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. It's interesting that Luke points that out. That we, we had a ship with the twin gods. Kids, can you picture like twin gods on the front of a gigantic ship? Okay. Uh, um, twin gods and these gods, you know who they were? They were the sons of Zeus. Now, why did Luke point this out? The only thing I can think is he wanted to make fun of it because the twin gods were gods of protection. And clearly, clearly they needed God's protection through this trip, not any of the lowercase g's, right? And, and, and so he points this out and he says, we put in at Syracuse. That's not the university, okay? And we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after that, and after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Putioli. Okay, right, right here, right here, all right. There, we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And, and so we came to Rome. Now you say, you're not at Rome, Paul. You're, you're right here. But, but being there on the shin of the boot, if you will, okay, he's saying, hey, we're at Rome. We've got there. They still have some 125 miles to travel north, but they've arrived. And so some questions need to be answered right away. How will they receive Paul? We know this initial group 
brought him in, as scripture says, but how will they receive him? What news have they heard? Remember, Paul has been accused of many things. Agrippa said, I don't see anything wrong with him, but he's been accused of many things. How are the Jews going to receive him when he gets to Rome? The Jews have been a, a, a suffer for Paul. Very antagonistic to his message to the, as, a, as an apostle to the Gentiles. And, and so how is he gonna be received? Um, what slander has been said about him? Will Paul go to the Jews first or then the Gentiles? So, so let's, let's dive in as he's here, right on the shin of Italy's boot, if you will. Scripture says this, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. He's gotten a great reception. In fact, they're coming to the forum of Appius and to the three taverns. Now, I know you were all researching this, this week and found that three taverns, that was actually a rest stop on a road. Does anybody know the main thoroughfare of the ancient Mediterranean world along Rome? the Appian Way. And so they're coming. It's like they're forming together because it seems like word has gotten out that Paul has just landed just 125 miles south of Rome where God's called him to. Oh, it's just an amazing response. And when we came to Rome, Luke writes, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So, so an amazing freedom. He, he was not expecting to be able to stay by himself, especially with only one guard with the way that he'd been treated on the boat. And, that, and not only top of that, Luke writes, after three days, Paul, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. So we see Paul goes first to the Jews. What humility. I would have thought he would have just bypassed them, but he went right to them. And when they had gathered, he said to them. Now, before I tell you what he said to them, Scholars write, don't miss this moment. The apostle of the Gentiles called throughout this book of Acts to go to Rome, which was considered the heart of the world. You could argue many felt it was like going to the uttermost parts of the earth because of the fact that you got, if you could do it in Rome, it would go everywhere. And so we're seeing Acts 1-8 playing out here. And Paul, do you know how many years after the crucifixion it's been now? Jesus has been dead 29 years. He's alive in heaven, but has been crucified now for 29 years. And Paul, speaking to the Jews in the heart, in the empire, in Rome, says, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hand of the Romans. It's as if he starts with, I'm sure you've heard some bad stuff about me. It's the approach he takes. When they had examined me though, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. I was just compelled, and for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak to you, since because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Have you ever pleaded your case? And somebody said, it's okay, man. That's exactly the response he gets. Watch how God protected Paul's testimony here in Rome. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. What? I get a fresh start? God, that's amazing. But we actually desire to hear from you, Paul, what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everyone is speaking against it. We kind of want to know what you have to say. Folks, I wrote in my journal for voyagers. Voyagers need to be ready when they take a leap of faith in God to be amazed. Because those who place their faith in Christ see him do things exceedingly abundantly beyond whatever they ask or think. I can think of time and time again in my life when I know I've stepped in faith, not in Chris' faith, but in Christ's faith, I've watched him do far more than what I even anticipated. And God is giving Paul an audience. God 
loves to surprise his kids who step out in faith for them. He loves it. Like a mom who likes redecorating her daughter's bedroom while she's at school. Going, going upstairs, going upstairs. Like a husband who says, come on home, hon. There was a chip dump today. Maybe not that excited. But we love to surprise people we love and God loves to surprise his kids. Especially kids who think he's given up on them. Especially kids who think he's given up on them. He was wandering around a very barren place and all of a sudden, boom, a bush lit up in fire. And it didn't consume. It was just this fire. He's in Midian. He's, he's approaching 80 years old now. He sees this, this bush, this shepherd sees this bush. He, he has spent years caring for the flock. God has turned this hot-tempered, passionate young man into his shepherd, and he spots this bush that doesn't consume. And as he comes over, it talks to him. Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I don't know about you, but if a bush talks to me, I'll take my shoes off. He takes off his shoes. What a beautiful picture, by the way, New Testament saints. No one comes to the Father unless he draws them. What? what? And he comes over. Moses, I have seen the plight of my children. I have seen how my children are being treated and I have come to deliver them. If I'm Moses, yes, Lord, that, I hear a Midian. I mean, yes, Lord, it's about time, amen. I'm gonna send you. What, right? What, wait, what? Have you ever done that? I'm gonna use you. No, God, I just wanted to send an angry email. No, I'm gonna use you. No, I just wanted to suggest another job description for somebody. I'm gonna use you. Have you ever done that? God, you know what the problem is with this place? Yeah, and I want you to fix it. Okay, that's not what I was going for. And that's exactly where Moses did. Whoa, whoa, whoa. who am I? Who am I, Lord? Who am I? Anybody ever do this? Who am I? I mean, call one of the pastor guys or like my Sunday school teacher or my, my, my small group leader. Who, who am I? I want to use you. Well, well, I mean, um, I don't speak so good. I mean, there's people who can speak better than me. I mean, why don't you use somebody who can speak better than me? I, I, will, I will give you support. He'll even give you your, your Aaron, right? But what, what will I tell them? Who will I tell them sent me? I am. Okay. I am. That I am. So your name's I am? I am. You are I am. Could you send someone else and the Lord's anger grow against Moses? I want to use you. But, but, but I don't know what your will is. I don't know what you want to do. And God says something awesome. Listen to this. He says this. What's in your hand? Huh? What's in your hand? My shepherd's staff. Throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground and it turns into a snake. All of a sudden, Moses realizes he is with someone who can do anything. And there's so much symbolism to that, but I only got so much time in a sermon. Pick it up. <laughs> How many of you were like, I'm out, God. Pick it up, I'm out. Pick it up, picks it up, back into a rod. How many of you are saying, God, I'd love to have a mission. I, I wanna follow you, and, and maybe you need to hear this. What's in your hand? Huh? I want a big mission for you, God. Young man, I see you're holding a basketball. Yeah? Let's start there. Will you give that to me? Well, I kinda like bringing glory to myself with it. Would you give that to me? What, what's, but I would, I would like a big mission. Mom, say their names. 
Oh, that's my son and that's, that's my daughter. What's in your hand? I'd like a big mission from God. What's in your hand? What do you mean, Lord? I'm, I'm a contractor, a gigantic tractor's in my hand. Use it, use it. I've often put my mission for you right in your hand and I'll empower you for it. And Moses took that staff and in the Lord's command, he walked into Pharaoh and he points it and goes, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, I'm being nice, no. Then God will strike the Nile in a mockery to their God of the Nile. God strikes the Nile and brings blood. They worship frogs. They had a goddess of frogs. The Egyptians loved froggies. God says, you like frogs? Put them in their houses, Moses. And into their houses came frogs. You still like frogs. Gnats, flies, the God of livestock or their wealth. God smote. And 10 plagues came upon Egypt. And each time, the hardness of sin, when it sees faith, it repels against faith. And it says, no, no, no. Until he got to the ninth one. And God said, they worship this mighty God. If you're familiar with Egyptian culture, they love the God of what? Ra, the sun God. And God said, oh, this sun God, he's powerful, huh? Moses. Boom, darkness crossed the land. Yet Pharaoh still said, no, I will not let your people go. And God called Moses and Aaron together. I'm sure they were trembling. He said, 10th day, 10th day, I'm sending a destroyer on this land. The angel of death would come over Egypt and God gave out very specific instructions. At twilight, Moses at twilight, tell the people to slay a perfect lamb. It needs to be a spotless animal. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no Passover. So there must be blood shed by innocence. And I want you to take that blood and I want you to go up to your mantles and your doorposts and your limp posts. And I want you to paint blood on the top of the doors and down the sides. And whichever house has blood over it, the angel of death will pass over. But those who do not, a child will be killed. And this will even work into Pharaoh's house who will lose his son. What was it like that night? They were told to prepare a meal. Jews still practice it today called the Passover meal. But something God said was very interesting. I'm sure it brought some anxiety and a little bit of emotion. He said, be fully dressed when you take dinner that night. I want your buckles on because you are gonna be moving. And so that night they took the Passover at midnight, the angel of death swooped through and they said there was wailing throughout, scripture says there's wailing throughout Egypt and Pharaoh lost a child and yelled, Moses, get out of here. And the people followed Moses by uh, uh, this awesome, awesome cloud by day and fire by night. And, and Moses led them out. And they got all the way to the edge of this water. There's this water, so this big, huge red sea. And they came to the edge and God said, stop, Moses, circle back and camp. Now, God, if I'm running from somebody, I want to keep running. Stop and camp. Because I got a surprise for my kids. Voyagers get to witness a God who loves to amaze his kids especially the ones who leap in faith. A big day was coming for Moses, just like a big day had come for Paul. They gathered around, scripture says, when the day was appointed for him, and they came to him at his lodging in Rome, and, and, and it, there were great numbers. They kept coming in, and from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Even Paul understood it started there and it finishes with me. And some of the Jews were convinced by what he said. There was a great revival within the Jews. Rabbis were being saved that day that would impact the kingdom, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. What did he say? 
He said this, therefore let it be known to you all that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. If you're gonna reject it, they're gonna listen. Voyagers need to be ready to be amazed, but they need to be willing to stay on mission even when things get difficult. If God's called you to a mission, don't be shocked when it gets hard. If God's called you on a mission to especially to lead people, don't be shocked when they don't want to be led. For within just a simple amount of time, the people see Pharaoh's armies bearing down on them for Pharaoh had changed his mind. Got over 600 chariots and they're charging towards the Red Sea. They've got the Israelites, they've got the Jewish people, Hebrews, trapped. They've got a Red Sea and they've got a bearing down army. And immediately, Moses, you, you driving us out here? Were the graves not good enough? Were the graves not good enough back there? We're out here, we're just gonna die at the Red Sea. And Moses goes to God, God, what am I gonna do? I've got, I've got sea here and I've got Pharaoh's army here. And God says the most amazing line. He says, hey, don't cry to me. Just turn around and go through the water. What? Why didn't I think of that? Don't cry to me. Wave your hand over the water, Moses. What? What? Wave your hand over a Moses. Why? What's going to happen? No, 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 no. Come on, Moses. What's going to happen? No, no, I want you to wave it even if, even if I don't. What, what? I mean, we could lose. Yeah, no, I want to see, I want to see your maybe faith. Wave your hand over the water. I mean, you know, I mean, if I wave my hand over the water, we're going to leave. Yeah, come on, I want to see your valiant faith. And Moses did it. But before he did, he turned to the Israelite camp and he said, one of the most powerful lines of scripture, he said, behold, stand and watch for the salvation of our Lord. And he said, you need not do anything but be quiet. And Moses turned and the water split. It says like a wall on the right side and a wall on the left. And the Hebrew people started marching through. What was that like? What were the kids like? In they go, and they go across on dry land. Pharaoh sees this, he charges in. God drowns him out. And the people come across, witnessing the glory. God, God inspires Moses to write this powerful song, but within long, they're camped beneath Mount Sinai. And the people are complaining. We don't have anything to drink, we don't have any food. And Moses pleads for them. If you're leading a group of people and you're a voyager, you pray for your people, not come whine about your people. Don't worry, Moses had weak times with God. It said that Moses had a, like a face-to-face -face relationship with our Lord. God called him up Mount Sinai. He said, I want to show you something. He gave them 10 commandments. They're called the Decalogue. And sadly, for so many, they can name 10 beer companies faster than they can name the 10 commandments. And God gave out his holiness, something that the church, I believe, we need to get back to. And he said, thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do this. And it wasn't so they would become perfect because they can't. The law was given to Moses to show him, you can't do this. There's only one who could ever live a perfect life to fulfill the 10 commandments. This is to show you what right is and what wrong is. And he gave those commandments for their good for they didn't know evil like they would once they've gotten the 10 commandments. But the people were always impatient, always upset. At one time, God told Moses when they were complaining for drink, he said, strike the rock. And Moses struck the rock and water flowed from the rock down to the people. But it wouldn't be before long where they complained again. And they were whining about not having water. And Moses, in his frustration, he said, must, must we strike this rock again? But God had only told him, speak to the rock. But Moses, in his frustration with the people, walked up to the rock and he hit it, and water flowed to the people. But Moses did something terrible that day. For God said, 
because you struck the rock, you will not enter the promised land, Moses. That mistake was a massive mistake. And it was equivalent to the mistake the people made when they got to the edge of the promised land and sent in 12 spies to look over top of it. And only two would come back. Upon looking into the promised land, only two would come back and give a good report. Joshua and Caleb. And their faith was rewarded and the others weren't. Have you ever thought, that's a little harsh. I mean, come on, Moses just made a mistake. He made other mistakes. But if you study the scriptures, you'll see in 2 Corinthians especially that the rock was a type of Christ. That it was if it's Christ was with those people through that time. And, and, and Paul would say, it was from the rock that streams of water would flow to God's people. Psalms and Isaiah talk about this, that, that that's our salvation that we got. And the point was this, the rock was supposed to be struck once for the salvation of our sins. But don't hit my son a second time. He only gets hit once. Don't hit him a second time. But it was also kind of a principal lesson throughout scripture if you understand typologies and pictures that the mosaic law is not going to get you into the promised land it's only through christ you'll enter the promised land and it would be joshua moses's understudy who would enter and what was joshua's name yeshua moses was led up to the top of mount nebo he got to overlook the promised land. Scripture says this in Deuteronomy. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Por. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded him. You know, there's a little conspiracy theory in scripture about Moses. Do you find it interesting that God buried Moses' body? He died full of vigor, couldn't go into the promised land, but he died and God buried his body. And what's really interesting is the angel, Michael, the archangel, he was talking and he said, I would have been here sooner, but I got held up by, an, by the devil in a dispute over the body of Moses. So there seems to be the devil wants a piece of Moses' body. What's going on with Moses? And we'll never know. Well, we will know. We'll ask him. But isn't it amazing on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is talking with Elijah and Moses? Moses is standing in the promised land. Moses. His life can be divided into 40-year periods from the time God positioned him for his calling to the time of humbling and preparing a shepherd's heart to the time of delivering God's people to the promised land. Mission faith, positioned, prepared. And because of it, he ends up in what's called the hall of faith. Do you know what chapter that is in scripture? It's Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let me read that again, voyagers. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for, four, for seven days. And Hebrews goes on, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were be disobedient. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen. By faith, by faith, by faith, God is looking for people with faith, Amen. not with Google research. He's looking for faith. Not, I've been researching this a lot. He's looking for faith. Where can I find faith? It says in scriptures, when the son of man returns, he's looking for faith. When your friend looks at you like you're an idiot, it's okay because God's looking for faith. I want to be in the hall of faith. I don't want to be in the hall of the world thinks they're cool. I don't want to be in that hall. I want to be in the hall of faith. Young people, let me to appeal to you. We do not have enough 24, 25, 26, 27, 28 year olds who want to be in the hall of faith. We got a lot of people who want to be in the hall of Barnes and Noble, but we got to be in the hall of faith. And that takes taking God's word for truth. And when you do this, I'm going to tell you, you're going to see God do amazing things in your life. Give me one afternoon because when I was on the top of a bunk bed at Lancaster Bible College, and I said, God, I don't want to live a normal life. I want to be called to do a mission. And he took me up on it. And if I knew then what I know now, I might have said, never mind. But through the whole thing, he always had to say to me, what's in your hand, Chris? And for a while it was this, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? But there's been something very faithful to me that's been in my hand. And we got to have it open to live out faith. Who out there is focusing only right now on what they could lose? I'm calling you to maybe faith. Think about what could be gained if you step out in faith for God. Who out there right now? Fear moving forward. God, I'll jump, but only if you're wrestling with it right now. It's been in your prayer life. God, only if I got to have some more assurance. I want you to have furnace faith. Even if, even if God, give me that furnace faith. Who out there, who out there has been mocked, teased for their faith, made fun of? You're feeling a little like maybe not educated. Fear sins and says, I best stop before I fall. People are coming in hard after me. Where, where Nehemiah faith, awesome faith says, I'm not coming off this wall. I'm staying on this wall. I'm persevering for God. Who out there has been struggling with private sin? Who out there has been kind of trying to hide stuff and you don't want it up and it's really killing your strength? It's making you feel insecure and guilty all the time and living with shame. Call on the Lord for blameless faith. Faith, fear thinks no one's gonna see this. Faith thinks God will see this. I wanna clean it up. Who out there has been holding on too tight to something they love? And you're full of anxiety because fear is full of anxiety. And it says, God will take it away. But faith is full of trust. And altar faith says, God will provide. Who out there is bemoaning where they're at in life right now? A job, a position. And you're saying, I'm here for such a time like this. Valiant faith switches the attitude and says, maybe I'm here. Maybe I'm here for such a time as this. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now and it's hard and your family's been crying more than smiling. Those are the times, God, oh, the devil whispers good during those times. God doesn't care about you. He's finished with you. He can light up a bush. He can light up your life. In storm faith, we stop telling God how big the storm is and we start telling that storm how big our God is. And maybe you just feel desperate today. You don't have another way to go. Fear takes action, assuming the worst will come. Faith takes action, trusting his will will come. 
and mission faith. Fear answers with excuses when God calls them. How many of us have been offering him excuses? Fear says, who am I, God? Maybe somebody else. Faith says, here am I. Fear answers, who am I? Faith answers, here am I. Fear is hasty and prideful. Faith is patient and humble. Fear feels there's just no way. I mean, do you see my circumstance? Faith knows God can make a way. Fear is always looking back. The Israelite people are always looking back. We should have gone back. We shouldn't have done this. Faith is always pressing forward. Fear leads us into bondage. Faith leads us into freedom. Was Paul able to finish? Look, what, look how Acts concludes. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him in Rome. And it says this in conclusion, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and God gave him a wonderful season of no hindrance. Amen? Amen. It's there, we believe, you've been given the book of Ephesians. Do you like that book? Paul, a chosen instrument, who I believe, this is my personal gut, we don't fully know for sure, but I believe he spoke a sermon and it's been recorded. And I believe that's why I give credit to Hebrews, to Paul. Um, maybe somebody else recorded him speaking, but this is what Hebrews says. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You're never gonna talk somebody into heaven. It's gonna demand faith. But I wanna encourage you, especially young people, anybody can live the life of rebellion, struggle, anger, bitterness, but if you're tired, if you're tired of it, is anybody sick of being enslaved to a substance? Is anybody sick of being enslaved to bitterness? Is anybody in the room sick of being angry all the time? And you think you're free, but you're actually completely enslaved? Do you know there's Jesus who says, I wanna lead you to the promised land? I can free you up. I can give you hope. I can give you freedom but you gotta call on my name. Who in here has taken the leap of faith to say, God, I don't know how you did that with the water, but I believe. I don't know how you did that with Noah, but if it's good for Jesus, it's good for me. Ready? I'm jumping. I did it when I was six years old. I said, Jesus, I love this yum yum donut. And I love you. It's amazing what yum yum yums do. And the preacher tonight said, I would go to hell if I don't get saved and I don't wanna to go to hell. I've heard someone say, well, you don't wanna ask people to get saved just so they don't go to hell. That is a great reason. That is a phenomenal reason. And I don't wanna close our series on faith without offering everyone in this room, if you have never taken the leap of faith to Jesus Christ, I want you to do it right now. Would you close, close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Brothers and sisters, you're in this room because you've accepted Christ as your savior. I need you to pray with me right now that if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know Jesus and the spirit's been working on them, they thought they had to get somewhere and they see that even Moses said, who am I? See, God's not looking for extraordinary people. He's looking for ordinary people who have faith in an extraordinary God. Maybe there's some people in here, God, that feel like you're done with them. It's been a while since they've seen something big in their life. But if they're really honest, they've let a lot of sin entangle them. And it's time to get free of that. And maybe it's just somebody in here who goes, God, it's time to jump into your arms. So 
I would encourage them to pray this with me. Jesus, I want to place my faith in you. I don't want to place my faith in myself anymore. I don't want to place my faith in governments, in information, in people. I want to place my faith in the God of the Bible and in his son, Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sin. Be my savior. And bring me to heaven with you one day. Jesus, I want to be saved. Would you be my savior? I pray this believing you hear me. I ask you, fill me with the Holy Spirit this moment of salvation. Would you surround me with people to help me realize the mission you've called me for? As we continue in prayer, Lord, for those of us who know Christ as their savior, we know that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. God, I look at your scripture. I see the characteristics. I see the signs and I see activity that point us to thinking that as believers, we might be almost home. I can't wait to walk onto that shore and see you face to face, Jesus. But before that day, as voyagers, may we fulfill the mission of sharing the gospel with the world who desperately needs to hear faith, not fear. What's in my hand, God, that I need to use more effectively? What's in my heart that's pulling on me to step out? And what are my excuses that have been keeping me from doing it? Give me voyager faith. Give me mission faith. Thank you for the book of Acts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.